guys. We are back together. Just kidding. None of us has made a new friend in like 11 years. I wouldn't even know how to do that. Welcome to Welcome to Storybrook. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And, okay, we're we're pulling ourselves out of the pit of bad stories. I mean, it's better. It's better. I... It's not great. I but, don't know how I feel about the villain reveal. Yeah, I... It, it doesn't super work for me. Like, I want to give this episode just props for not being actively bad or boring, as in the case of last week's. That's true. That's true. But... Uh, yeah, I really don't like the twist here. It doesn't particularly feel built up to enough. Yeah, we're on episode 15 of 22, and we're only meeting the villain this episode. That's that's too late in the arc. I don't particularly like it, but yes, we should get into it. Yeah, so this, as I said, is episode 15 of season 7. It's called Sisterhood, and this is the episode where we're finally going to find out who... Is killing all of the witches. You know, that plot point that was introduced, what, four episodes ago? Maybe three? Yeah. Also, this episode, the episode where we find out who that person is, they're given a name that hints at their identity, and then their identity is revealed. So, this episode, they're given the name The Candy Killer. Oh, God. Doesn't that sound like a Goosebumps book? Kind of, or... It sounds a little bit like what a character would be called in a late 90s post-scream ironic slasher flick. Yeah, I feel like Candy Killer is too silly, even for urban legend. Oh, you don't remember the Valentine's Day one, though, then. What was you? the name of the killer in that one? Uh, Cupid. Uh, and I mean, he shoots arrows. I guess I can see how in the 90s we th- would have thought it was funny and cool to make Cupid a Kill- oh my god, let's just move on with this episode. Actually, I do want to go back to that. I do want to go back to uh, the Valentine's Day horror movie when we get to the slasher scene in here because there are some weird similarities. Oh, okay. I'm excited for that now, weirdly. All right. So as a reminder, someone has been going around killing members of the Coven of Eight who should be this season's big bads, but aren't. It's a Coven of Eight witches led by Mother Gothel who have mm as their goal. Right. That's the other thing. No one has any motivation. Well, we'll get into that. Also, the killer lets people know that he's about to kill them by sending them a box of candy. And it's weird because it's one of those drugstore candy boxes, but apparently it's filled with, like, really high-end marzipan truffle chocolates. Mm. And by the way, marzipan is one type of candy, and truffle is a different type of candy. I mean, I guess it could be truffles that are wrapped in marzipan, which honestly sounds delicious. We haven't eaten yet. I'm really hungry. That sounds great. Mm. My point is... He's going, I mean, I know he's a killer and killers, you know, do things, but he's going to a lot of trouble to buy these drugstore boxes of chocolates, empty them out, and fill them with presumably candy that he makes himself. I don't know what to tell you. Also, Ivy's been having a very, very soft redemption arc. Her mother died and she realized that her motivations for being evil kind of sucked, so she's decided to stop being evil. Yeah, speaking of people who whose motivations are kind of obscured 
Like, she didn't like her mom, so she cursed everyone? It doesn't- I- You could have just moved out, Ivy. I'm very unclear about what's happening, and now she feels bad for the big thing she did that hasn't been fixed yet, which is that she poisoned Henry, and if the curse is broken now, Henry will die, which is why Lucy is trying to keep Henry and Jacinda apart. Yes. Yes, that's where we are. So the episode opens with two little girls playing hide-and-go-seek. It's Drizilla and Anastasia as children. And I really like uh, Drizella's coat. It's this kind of very simple red coat with a uh, white lining. It's very much the kind of coat you'd expect to see a girl wearing in a Victorian story. It's mm. a very Victorian child's coat. It's very simple, but it's a nice coat. So Drizella is lost, but Anastasia finds her. There's... But now they're both lost. Uh-oh. If only they had some sort of magic lantern-creating powers that could guide them home. Okay, we absolutely... God, it's so frustrating. I just... Okay, here's the thing. We absolutely saw them lighting and and sending off the lanterns so that their mother Rapunzel could find her way home in an earlier episode... And now we are to believe that Drizella magically made those lanterns to lead them home. I think it's Anastasia who makes the lanterns. Well, they like hold hands in a way that made me think they were combining their magic to make the lanterns. I can see that. It's just uh, Drizella finds Anastasia because Anastasia creates a lantern. Like a single lantern. Yeah, and then together they uh, combine their power to make enough lanterns to guide them home. I feel like the point they wanted us to pick up on here was, like, their magic works when they're together, like the Wonder Twins. Mm. And that's why them being together will be the theme of this episode. Ish. Sort of. As as much as this episode can be said to have a theme. I don't know. It's more cohesive than the last episode. And I do like that even though Drizella is having, like, a redemption arc, it's not erasing the fact that she's kind of a shitty person. Like, I enjoy that, that they're not just ignoring the fact that, yeah, she's not a good person. She just wants to stop being an actively evil one. See, what you're giving as a benefit to the plotline, I was seeing as this season being rushed and incoherent. Yeah, point. Like, she doesn't have really a redemption arc. It's just she, I was going to say she temporarily stops doing shitty stuff, but she doesn't. They just are all like, well... We're done with you. We're done with this character because we've gone so far afield from our season Bible that we have no idea what to do with you anymore. So, redeemed! I mean, honestly, isn't that kind of what they did with Zelina? She started out as evil. She kept stabbing them in the back over and over and over again. And then eventually she just started stabbing other people in the back and they were like, eh, good enough. Here's the difference with Zelina. Zelina, in the season that she was introduced in, had an arc that made sense. It's just that she really should have died at the end of that arc, but they liked Rebecca Mater so much that they kept her around, even though they didn't really know what to do with her after that. This is Ivy's season. There's no excuse for them not knowing what to do with her. Point. You know, I remember a few episodes ago, I really thought Ivy was going to be the Regina of this season. Oh, good times. Honestly, I still think that Ivy is one of the stronger characters. I might lay most of that at the feet of the actress. 
she, like Lana Perea, is doing the best she can with what they give her. But I just, this whole season is such a mess. I just, I keep thinking we should go back. We have to go back. No, I keep thinking that we should go back to the first episode and just talk about how much of a mess this season is given where it starts and then how they're kind of all over the place and don't know where they're going and we're on episode 15 and i have no idea where they're going with this you know what this reminds me of in such a weird way what the new charmed where it feels like they had sort of a vague idea of what they wanted to do in like the first couple episodes and then they just kept pivoting and it made nothing make any sense. Like, I feel like a lot of these shows would really benefit from second drafts, more planning. Sticking I, to your plan? See, I think the problem is this season doesn't have the courage of its convictions. Mm. It started to realize that maybe they wanted to explore something different, and then they just did that instead of sticking with a storyline that they'd actually drafted out that had foreshadowing things that made sense i just we shouldn't be 15 episodes into a season of once upon a time and not know who the big bad is supposed to be absolutely absolutely Ugh. also you shouldn't pick your big bad by flipping through movie listings and seeing the title of a movie and being like oh let's just run with that i refer of course to hansel and gretel witch hunters mm. spoilers I mean, not really, because this hasn't Spoilers been... Spoilers for the end of this episode. But, I mean, this hasn't been established at all. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I know that you said that we see Jack earlier. Jack is... Jack is Hansel. I know that you said that we see Jack earlier, and we do, but we haven't been introduced to the concept of this reality's Hansel and Gretel until this episode. You can't run a season of television like an episode of Scooby-Doo, where you introduce a minor character relatively early, then you don't see them for a while, and then they turn out to be guilty. Not just guilty, but someone completely different than who they were introduced as. See, that's the part that really rankles me. Yeah, there's nothing that's touched on the fact that he's supposed to be Hansel. But then again, Nick slash Jack has had basically no screen time, despite having a very interesting dynamic with a bunch of characters when he was initial, when he was initially introduced. But remember how excited I was when we saw the description of this episode, and I was like, "Oh, we're gonna explore Jack." I was so naive. We should get back to talk. It's weird to say we should get back to talking about the episode when we are talking about the episode, but we should get back to talking about what actually is happening in the episode. I suppose so. So we cut from child Drizella being led out of the woods by her sister to adult Drizella in her sister's fancy coma room yelling at her sister's coma body because their mom doesn't like her. Yeah, I have to say a weird thing about this coma room. Mm -hmm. I just have to point out there's a fireplace in this coma room that has the worst CGI fire in it. Like, it's not great. Like. Don't put a fire there or put a real fire there. What are you doing? So, Drizella is explaining her motivations for casting the Dark Curse to Anastasia, presumably to justify them to the audience, because they are really not strong. I mean, is she? Because she seems to just be explaining that she's not strong enough to cast the curse. Well, she says, you know, 
we used to be the best of friends, but then you fell into this coma and mother only had time for you. And I need to cast this dark curse on mother to punish her for preferring you to me. See, this all seems like a personal problem, Drizella slash Ivy. Maybe you don't need to be dragging everyone else into your family squabbles. Therapy. Kill your mother. These are two. Move out. There are three options that are better than what you're doing here. It's weird how you like sandwiched kill your mother in there. (laughs) Speaking of killing your mother, Regina shows up and is like, oh my god, I know this story. It me. She raises the very legitimate point. You know, casting the dark curse will solve none of your problems. Legit. Therapy. You need therapy. This is dumb. Your plan is dumb, and you are dumb for having this plan. She also reminds Drizella and the audience that originally she was going to teach her how to use magic, so maybe they should go back to that plot. And Drizella's like, no, I need to do this instead for reasons. And then tries to force choke Regina, who transforms into Gothel and is like, ha, it was all a test. To make sure that you will continue along the stupidest path. Yes, I needed to make sure that you were committed to joining my family because there's great power in family. I was going to say I understand if you're an abused child, but, you know, Ivy wasn't abused. Like, there's an abusive dynamic that we see later with her mother. That doesn't make any sense, though. It doesn't make any... Lady Tremaine does not make sense as Rapunzel. The character of Rapunzel that we see, it doesn't make sense that she would have evolved into the character we see at the beginning of the season as Lady Tremaine. It's one of the things that's so bothersome about this haphazard season. Also, again, I... I But but the point I was going to make is, if you were an abused child, as Drizella was under Lady Tremaine, I understand how you would partner with this person who keeps testing you. But somebody who has any self-respect, as a Drizella who was raised by Rapunzel presumably would, would just be like, fuck you, bitch! Well, as a Drizella who was mostly raised by, uh, what's her name? Jacinda's mom. Yeah, I don't remember her name. Yeah, like, she was what? Do you think that's a good sign? She's like, what, 14 15 when uh rapunzel came back into their lives but she seems like a perfectly nice mother figure yeah like i feel like rapunzel kind of i know abusive relationships can enter your life at any point but i legit don't see why drizella wouldn't just leave it doesn't make sense for her to ally herself with Mother Gothel, the person who is ultimately responsible for tearing her family apart. Ooh, also, wouldn't it have been interesting if Cinderella's mother had been kind of evil? It would have made more sense of Rapunzel's actions in that episode, and also it would have been a cool twist on the evil stepmother. Yeah, but... That's not what they did, though. So, for whatever reason, Drizella is following Mother Gothel now. And Mother Gothel gives her the coin, the coin with the... Coven of Eight symbol on it. And tells her, you know, they're having a meetup in the woods and she should join the meetup and join her Coven of Eight. There's so many tests for Drizella to join this thing. And it's... Is it supposed to be like a Marines thing where, like, 
y'all suffer together so you're bonded like family or whatever. It's like Fight Club where you have to deny them three times before they're allowed to join. Also, I was thinking of the Coven of Eight. The way that Gothel is giving her that coin, I don't know why, but it just really felt like a multi-level marketing scheme where she was like, come to my La La Rue party. You'll have to recruit three other witches. Here's how it works. Hashtag girl boss. Hashtag make your own money. Um, hashtag witch boss. Hashtag make your own magic. So all of the witches that you recruit are your downstream. And you receive magic from them and all of the witches that they recruit. They're downstream. I know it sounds like a pyramid scheme, but it's not. So the... Once Upon a Time uh, opening credits have a sign for Flynn's Arcade. Um, I'm sorry, this is Seattle, so it's actually Flynn's Barcade. Um, people who don't live in Portland or Seattle, I think, don't know about barcades. They're uh, arcades where you can drink. They're adult arcades where you can drink. I read somewhere a person arguing that the best innovation in Portland, which this isn't, this is Seattle, but the best innovation in Portland, and let's extend that to the Pacific Northwest, mm is X, but you can drink. A movie theater, but you can drink. An arcade, but you can drink. A library, but you can drink. Yeah, barbershops, but you can drink. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 the thing. That's what we do. That's what we do. Yeah. I was actually really hoping when I saw the sign, because Flynn's is really big and Barcade is really small, so I didn't realize it was a Tron reference immediately, and I thought we were going to get Flynn Rider, and then when you pointed out that it was a barcade, I thought maybe Flynn Rider would be Flynn and it would be awesome, but that's not what happens. Yeah, that would have been cool. So back in the real world, Drizella is freaking out because nobody can find her missing sister, who I wasn't super aware. Like, I thought Gothel had her. I know Gothel told her to leave during that. Yeah, conference. I thought she was still with Gothel too, but I guess she's not. I guess now she's just wandering around. Okay, like... It really seemed like Gothel was still in control of her when Gothel told her to leave, and she did. And now Gothel's looking for her, so I guess she left a lot. Yeah, it's very weird. And as we pointed out in previous episodes, like, what is the real-world reality of Anastasia? Because nobody who isn't awake appears to be looking for her. Yeah, all of the people who are looking for her are awake, but she was also in a hospital. I have to ass- I have to assume people knew that Victoria, Lady Tremaine, was her mother. Yeah. Like it's it's all whatever. It it you know what? At this point in the season, it doesn't matter. You know what does matter? What? Ivy is wearing a skirt that matches the dress that Mother Gothel is wearing. Huh. Yeah, they're both wearing red floral outfits. Yes, Mother Gothel has come to Ivy to warn her that someone is going around murdering witches. And Drizella's like, uh, I'm really not into trusting you that much because of, you know, that time you attempted to murder me for my magic. Also to bring back, what's her bucket? Madame Leota? Yeah. Well, now she says that, now Ivy says that Mother Gothel wants... Anastasia, because Anastasia is the guardian, and the guardian will help her get the Dark One dagger, which is Facilier's motivation, but we haven't seen Gothel wanting the dagger. Whatever. Yeah, Gothel has had 
Gotham, yeah, we haven't seen Gothel want the dagger at any point. Like, she wanted Anastasia because she's the guardian, and... Well, I mean, to be fair, however obscure Ivy's motivations are, we know even less about what it is that Gothel supposedly wants. The only thing we consistently know about her is that she's looking for the guardian, which... Really, this is just going down to her wanting the Dark One dagger again? I mean, is she really looking for the Guardian? I feel like she's just been looking for magical women to join her coven, except whenever she finds one, she's like, just kidding, you're the one that's being sacrificed. No, remember, she the whole reason she did the Rapunzel thing oh, is because right. she- right. She wants to find people who are worthy. Yeah, moral clarity or whatever. Okay, theory about Gothel. Mm-hmm. She's not actually interested in finding somebody who passes her tests. She just enjoys doing the tests. God. You know what? It's like, the journey is the goal. She tells Ivy that it doesn't matter if Ivy is done with her bullshit because her bullshit is not done with Ivy- there was a package downstairs with the drugstore candy in it, so whoever's killing witches is coming for Ivy next. So, why does Ivy not have, like, a bodyguard or something? I mean, do you think that would help? I mean, I guess those bodyguards that were protecting, uh, what's-her-face, the blind baker didn't help her not get murdered. Yeah. And they were cops, which, also, really, none of them, were they all supposed to be dead- or if they were just knocked out, why couldn't any of them clear Alice in the last episode? Because presumably they would be able to say, oh yes, the person who knocked us out was not this five foot nothing blonde girl. Well, the person who knocked them out was wearing a mask, so... And were they somehow magically making themselves shorter? People are really bad at identifying things like that. Especially when, you know, they get concussions. Back at Ronnie's bar, Jacinda has come with Lucy to pick up their food. So and I guess they are, like, a restaurant. Yes. And so what was Zelina's problem with them having a kid's menu? Uh, she hates children. And Regina's all like, you're not going to stay and eat here? And Jacinda tells her that they can't. She's actually just picking up the meal for Lucy and Lucy's babysitter because she is going to have a girl's night with Sabine. And she walks away from the bar for some reason so that Ronnie and Lucy can have this scene. Yes, she just wanders away from the bar, leaving her daughter there. Okay, this is a theme for Jacinda this episode where she just wanders away for really no reason so that scenes can happen. So remember that because I'm going to bring it up again. Well, sometimes she just randomly wanders into scenes for no reason. But that means there's a corresponding scene where she wandered away from Sabine for some reason. Yeah, we'll talk about it. Regina gives Lucy some cocoa, presumably with cinnamon in it, because, you know, Lucy's a Mills now, and Regina knows how hard it has been on her to walk around with all these people who are asleep when she's awake. Lucy's kind of bummed because of the whole keeping her mom and dad apart thing, and Regina's like, look, I'm not going to be able to do anything until I get my hands on some magic. Somehow that will make a difference, even though I had magic when Henry was poisoned. I guess if I have more time with magic, oh maybe God, I'll be able to... Oh terrible. But, like, I know this is hard on you, but you're doing the right thing. And Lucy's like, well, I don't feel bad for my mom because she has, like, friends, but Henry doesn't have friends here. Did he have any friends in the Enchanted Forest? Yeah, and Regina tells Lucy that his best friends were his friend Jack and his stepdad's mirror universe counterpart, Captain Hook. It's, a, it's pretty pathetic, Henry. It's very sad. Very sad. 
And then she tells Lucy that those people in this world are Detective Rogers and her fake dad, Nick. And she's like, my fake dad and my real dad were friends? I don't know why that's surprising. Yeah, I also don't know why that's surprising. I mean, most of these people, most of these people are in the same social circles. But Lucy decides that it is time for what she calls, and I can't decide if I hate this or love this, Operation Bromance. (laughs) The thing is, it might be so terrible that I love it, but it is terrible, let's be clear. Operation Let's Get Henry Some Goddamn Friends. Oh, poor Henry. Operation It's Really Hard to Make Friends in Your 20s, You Guys. Yeah, so we cut from Operation Bromance to... Oh my god! God. So... The police station. Detective Rogers is in the police station and he goes to see Weaver, who is gluing the goddamn cup back together. And Hook's like, hey, are you are you still working on the candy killer case? And Rumpel's like, dear God, we are not calling that, are we? And Hook's like, oh, the press is calling it that, which... Did you leak these details to the press? No, no, he says the boys in the bullpen. Ah. So, like, the uniformed officers are calling it the candy killer, so. <sighs> the people have spoken. It is now the candy killer. You ever think about how, uh, maybe it's just because I don't watch a ton of cop shows, but how cop shows don't tend to focus on uniformed officers as much as detectives? Uh, that's because cop shows are to some extent or another following the Sherlock model, and the people who go out and do Sherlock-style things are detectives. Mm. Just like Law & Order, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. It's, well, so it's not weird for Law & Order because they're doing the detective thing. It is a little weird that Brooklyn Nine-Nine, a work sitcom where they don't have to be detectives, focused on detectives instead of uniformed officers. Mm. That is weird. I think the thing you're looking for is the Lower Decks episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, which we will absolutely watch later tonight when we're done with uh, all of our stuff. All of our stuff. It's an episode that follows around the, the crewmen, the enlisted officers on the Enterprise instead of the bridge crew. So basically all of the people who got massacred come first contact. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of once upon a time, the final season, Weaver is gluing that goddamn cup together. I, ugh. And then he tells Hook, you know, my wife used to say, wandering another path often leads us where we need to go. Which I've never once heard Bell say. Yeah, Bell doesn't say shit like that. But his point is basically, look, if you're so focused on the case, you're not going to be able to think of new takes on it. You're too invested in it. You need to go out unwind a bit which will let you approach this from a new perspective which to be fair is good advice then rogers leaves because it's his day off and he needs to rest his brain and a uniformed officer comes in and gives weaver a photograph of a girl who's been seen wandering around who's anastasia right it's anastasia yeah yeah he says this might be the girl you're looking for but i feel like we haven't known that weaver was looking for anastasia before this whatever i mean here she is she's been wandering around here's a picture of her i like to imagine that this officer's just been bringing him pictures all day of little girls who are you know creepy yeah but i mean how would you describe anastasia yeah i i it's true he says this is a girl who matches the description of the girl you were looking for but she's like uh it's a 14 year old white girl with brown hair yeah 
oh my god, how will he ever... Like, all day. It has to be all day. I guess by herself, but she's at an age where it's not super unusual to be, like, by yourself. Maybe he described her as having a haunted expression, which she totally does. Mm. Look for someone who looks main character adjacent. Not a main character, but, like, a plot point character. Well, also remember she doesn't have Seattle memories, so look for a person who seems weirdly in awe of everyday things. Look at a person who's screaming at cars. Look at a person who looks out of time. So in a parking garage, presumably the parking garage of Victoria's Towers. Gisela gets attacked by the killer. Yeah, okay, this killer. Okay. I do really like Ivy in this. She's like, because she hears someone and she's like, why don't you come out? I've got a fresh can of pepper spray we can try together. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah, she is pretty great. Okay, the killer has a keychain that has a disco ball on it that he's waving around. Also, a baby doll plastic mask. And he sends his victims candy before he kills them. There is too much going on with this killer. Pick a theme. Okay, but you know what this super reminds me of? She manages to handily fight him off using a combination of kicking him in the groin and punching him and kicking him in the groin. She also stabs him with the stiletto of her shoe. Hmm. What does this remind you of? Okay, so I mentioned it earlier, I believe, the movie Valentine. Okay. It might have been called... I think it's called Valentine's Day, isn't it? Maybe. I don't remember. It's been a while. But the killer in that movie wears a Cupid mask. And, you know, Cupid's a baby. So, it's a guy who's running around killing people in a baby mask. And do you know who the killer turns out to be? Because I feel like this was a joke on the casting department's uh, part. Who's the killer? David Boreanaz. Oh, because he, like... Because he's angel. Yeah. And Cupid's are angels. Does he shoot people with arrows? No, he stabs them. It's a slasher movie. This is what I'm saying! Pick a theme! Also, he electrocutes, uh, I think it's Carmen Electra in a hot tub. Okay, how does he choose the people to kill? Okay, so, you ready? Because I think, I could be misremembering this. I watched a whole bunch of these uh, 90s slasher movies when I was in college because I needed something on in the background that wouldn't take up too much of my attention. Uh-huh. And that, that was when you could just watch really bad movies on YouTube for free because YouTube didn't know what it was yet. When I needed stuff on in the background, I just rewatched Buffy for the hundredth time. But mm. go on. So when he was in middle school, he peed his pants while asking a popular girl out and he's murdering everyone who laughed at him at that dance. That's terrible. Yeah. That's that's so bad. Okay. Also why wasn't it called Valentine's Day Massacre? It obviously should have been called Valentine's Day Massacre. Isn't there already a movie called that? I mean, maybe, but if there is, it's probably about the actual Valentine's Day Massacre. Mm. Slasher villains... I don't know, do slasher villains really have themes outside of murdering people? I mean, the Ghostface Killer had a theme. He was the Ghostface Killer. Well, yeah, but I mean, his thing was like, he'd ask you about scary movies and then he'd kill you. Yeah! Like, he didn't have a, I'm dressed like Cupid and I'm killing people on Valentine's Day, or... Yeah, I I don't really think killers having themes is, like, a thing. Alright, if you say so. I guess Mike Myers had the William Shatner mask, but he didn't, like, 
reference Star Trek while killing people, although I would watch those movies. Okay, well, it wasn't supposed to be a William Shatner mask. It just happened to be a William Shatner mask. Let's talk about a different 80s movie. Uh, Tron. Tron. Yeah. yeah I couldn't remember the name. I was thinking the Zoomy Zoomy explosion movie, which could describe a lot of movies. The one with the Zoomy bikes? Yeah. Yeah. So Henry is in the Flynn's Barcade playing Galaga, trying to get the high score because he used to have the high score, but now somebody came and took over his high score, so now he's got to get the new high score, which is fine. That I, I made fun of him saying that, but no, that's legit. Yep. But JBH went to take it from him, and I'm like, is that supposed to be Jacinda? I was trying to figure out who JBH was, yeah. Do, so the do, new... we know, do we know Jacinda's last name? I don't think we do, but just for the record, the new high score is held by JBH. Actually, if it's Jacinda, that makes what happens later make a lot more sense, so. All right, let's just decide it's Jacinda. Yeah, okay. I suppose it could also be Jack if he has his memories. Yeah, is Jack awake is definitely a question I'm going to ask at the end of this episode. Hmm. Hook shows up and he's like, oh, hey, you're playing video games. I'm here because you texted me that you had a break in the case. And Henry's like, nope, that was totally, that was totally Lucy texting you that so that you would come and hang out with me because I need a friend. Yeah, and Hook's like, I thought you were getting friendly with Jacinda and He's like, yeah, I don't know. I like, it seemed like things were going well, but then something happened and I guess Lucy doesn't like me now. And so just in just backing off, which fine, I'm just going to get drunk and play arcade games. Then Nick shows up and is like, hey, Lucy texted me to meet her here. And Henry's like, okay, so she's literally texting me into the friend zone, which is the only appropriate use of the friend zone. Yeah, because the friend zone is not being portrayed as a negative thing. It is good to have friends. People need friends. Also, I just have to say that one of the games in the background when they're playing is Bubble Bobble, Hmm. which is a game that, to follow the theme of this episode, my sister and I beat together when we were were children. Oh. Yeah. Uh, The only thing I really had like that... A bunch of my friends and I once got a bunch of quarters and finally, like, just spent the entire day beating the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles arcade game. Um, okay, so my sister and I beat Bubble Bobble on the NES, not in the arcade. Mm. But I have beat Turtles in Time, not with a handful of quarters, but because the boys that I lived under in college owned that arcade game. Uh also rampage but that was not in uh, an arcade a friend of mine had it and we just kept it going for several days my sister and i beat rampage together too and then later as adults we played all the way through rock band together wow yeah which rampage the original rampage uh we did 64 oh why do i can't why is the movie so terrible why is the movie played straight? Why did the movie take away everything that made Rampage funny and instead just make it a movie about a King Kong knockoff? Yeah, that's... I don't get the whole thing where they take things that are not tongue-in-cheek and they make them tongue-in-cheek, which makes them not work, like the Baywatch movie. Um, It worked really well with the Brady Bunch movie in the 90s. That's so it, Everybody's it, chasing the high of the Brady Bunch movie, Max. But then they go ahead and they do the opposite and they take something that was very clearly tongue-in-cheek, Rampage, and they play it straight. I'm aware that The Rock is in both of those. That's just a coincidence because The Rock's in every movie now. 
I mean, I'm not mad about that. I'm not mad about that either, but like, I feel like The Rock isn't so much a selling point anymore because he's just in every movie. Also, it, it kind of worked with the 21 Jump Street movie, which was a serious TV show that they played comedically in the movie. Yeah. So Henry decides to just sort of lean into the bromantic bromant. Yeah, Hook is like, here, I'll get you past the spaceship in Galaga, which is a nice stepdad thing. That's like totally a stepdad move. Yes, that is a stepdad move. So we cut back to Ronnie's bar. Where Ivy is seeking safe haven. And Regina says, I'm sorry, we have a no whiskey for witches policy, which what? Um, uh, no you don't. I've seen lots of witches drinking whiskey in that bar. Like, you're a bar owned by two witches. Maybe you have a no whiskey for people who have caused the future death of my son policy Mm. i could see that happening and she does get really mad at ivy about the whole cursing all of them and poisoning henry thing and ivy's like oh my god i've been redeemed past that i would fix it if i could i just don't know how I mean, Zelina tried to kill Henry in her season, and you don't seem to have any issues with that. I mean, I really do think the big difference here is that Henry is in continuing danger because of Ivy's actions. Ivy really can't be redeemed until she fixes that. Yeah. So Regina's like, okay, look, I know the killer's after you. You can stay here. I guess I'm just a big old softy in heart, and also I see so much of myself in you. Yep. So, fine. You can stay here. No one's going to kill you except probably me. In the flashback, we see Drizilla going to join the Coven of Eight, and Gothel's like, guess what? This wasn't an invitation to join. This was an invitation to audition to join. Which is such bullshit. Stop. Stop. Stop dealing with her bullshit. Seriously, it's just tests over tests over tests over tests. I'm beginning to think that she doesn't have anything legitimate to offer you. Right? I do like the variety of cloaks in this scene, though. I like the diversity of women that she has gathered. Yeah. Although we're just going to follow the two white ones, but she has gathered a diverse group of women, of eight women, and she tells them that they have to go find these golden flowers that are in the woods. There are two of them. And the two people who find golden flowers get to join the coven. And by the way, you should be very cutthroat and kill your fellow witch applicants in order to get an advantage. And I do like that Ivy's like, that doesn't seem very sisterhoody. Which, yes, I do appreciate that. And Gotham's like, um, witch, you're not in the sisterhood yet. Once you're in the sisterhood, we can talk about what being in the sisterhood means. Which is exactly why you shouldn't join her coven. All of the prospective witches scatter to look for flowers, except for one who approaches Ivy. And Ivy immediately throws her up against a tree and is like, I will run you through with this pointy stick I picked up from the ground. And the girl's like, or we could work together, find the two flowers, and then have, like, an alliance, like this is Survivor or some shit. (laughs) Yeah, like, I know Mother Gothel said that we shouldn't work together, but fuck Mother Gothel. Like, let's just work together, and if one of us happens to die, then it'll work out. Like, two are stronger than one. It's basically Survivor Fairy Tale Edition in this episode. Yeah. Back in the bar, Ivy is eating a giant plate of nachos, which makes sense. That's definitely bar food. Mm-hmm. 
when Dr. Facilier sits down and sets a glass of whiskey in front of her. I do love how casually she just kind of pushes it to the side. Okay, I really felt like she was going to push it right off the table like a cat, but she doesn't. She just pushes it to the very edge. So Dr. Facilier spreads some tarot cards out in front of her, which doesn't she need to shuffle the deck if it's going to apply to her? Yes, or at the very least touch it. But as we will see, this is like... Some weird-ass special made tarot deck? Yeah, he f- he starts flipping over the cards, and the first one is her being menaced by the babyface killer. Yeah, and then the second one is two tombstones. People misinterpret the Ivy being threatened by the babyface killer card. They think that it means death, but it can actually mean rebirth or change. I feel like you're mocking me since I said that about the death card last week. I'm not. I'm mocking the fact that he has a card that's her being threatened by the baby face killer. I mean, she seems not freaked out enough by the very specific cards that he has laid out in front of her. It's the her being threatened by the baby face killer card. It's two tombstones. It's her sister. It's her sister and mother Gothel. Yeah, those are the cards. And he's like, look, I have a magic bean. I'm going to give it to you. You need to find your sister, get her to power it, and then you can use it to escape. Because uh, because uh, Mother Gothel's going to get your sister, so either your sister's going to be killed by Mother Gothel, or she's going to be killed by powering the magic bean to help you escape? Yeah, he says that she'll die by powering the bean, which is not a thing we have seen, but... Ever! Yeah. Like... She just needs magic in order to make the bean work, and her sister has magic. Why would that kill her? It does not make any sense at all. Yeah, Dr. Facilier is setting up this false choice with her, where either Gothel kills Anastasia and then everyone dies, or Ivy kills Anastasia and then they get to escape. Well, she gets to escape. Yeah. Ivy gets to escape. No one else, apparently. Because the only place she will be safe from this baby face killer is in a different realm. Which, really? Meanwhile. You can just leave Seattle. Yeah, right? Because you're not trapped there like people were in Storybook. Yeah. Elsewhere, Weaver is visiting the Smoke and Sparks factory. There were so many of those in the 80s, and I feel like they're not so much a thing anymore. American, The American industry is dying. The American sparks and smoke industry. Yeah. I think this is actually Tilly's old place, but it's like weirdly giving off a lot of smoke and sparks. Mm. So uh, Regina shows up and she's like, you're a very hard man to get in contact with. And he's like, that's because I was ignoring you. But now I've got a message because I discovered that Dr. Facilier is after my dagger, and I know you're boinking him, but you can't trust him, and why didn't you tell me about that? And Regina's like, I was trying to tell you about that, that's why I left you all the goddamn messages. Also, she was going to screw him into changing his mind. Yeah, she talks about how, like, I know that you think he's evil, and he is kind of evil, but remember, you were super evil, and Belle doinked the evil out of you, so... She does use Belle as an example. She's like, I was going to fix him the way Belle fixed you. None of these people have been fixed. But Rumple realizes that he needs to find Anastasia before anyone else does, since everyone else is trying to kill her. And then we cut back to Ivy's actually really good plan to find Anastasia, which is just to buy a bunch of tangled-themed lanterns. And float them up. 
Yeah. I mean, I assume that's where she got them because they are the lanterns from Tangled. Mm. So I assume she was able to buy them at like the Disney store. Oh, I wonder if you can. Also, wouldn't you be arrested for littering if you just were throwing a whole bunch of those up in, you know, a park? Probably not because she's white and this area has been all gentrified. They'll Mm. probably just be like, oh, so pretty. So back in the flashback, the witch, can we just call her Gretel? It's Gretel. Yeah, she's like munching on a lollipop just to be clear about who she is. And she's explaining her backstory. She doesn't say that she's Gretel until the end of the scene, even though it's super obvious. She's like... Well, I mean, she does say that she was captured by a witch who tried to throw her and her brother in an oven. And her answer to this, her her response to this event in her life was to become a witch herself so that no one could ever hurt her. And her brother's response was to turn dark. Well, she says that he was forever altered. He was horribly burned. She mentions that it was a gingerbread house. And that he ran away and was traveling across distant lands under another name. It's Jack. It's obviously Jack. Yeah. And then she's like, look, I know you don't understand this, but losing your sibling is literally the worst thing that can happen and you just don't even know. And Drizelle's like, you know what show you're in, right? Like, seriously? Yeah. Although I do I do like Gretel in this. Even though I was going to point this out later, but I might as well point it out now, I guess. This is literally stolen directly from Fables. Do Gretel and Drizella hook up in Fables? No. In one of the later Fable storylines, uh, Hansel comes to town. Uh, it's revealed that he became a witch hunter after their experience. And uh, he's been killing witches for decades, including his sister who became a witch to protect herself after uh, their experience with the witch in the cottage. Okay, that is that is pretty heavily, yeah, that is pretty close to what this plot is. Although, having Hansel and Gretel, or one or the other, become witch hunters seems like an obvious place to go with that fairy tale. Yeah, there was a whole movie about it. Yes, as also, I mentioned. Also, in that movie, Gretel turned out to be a witch. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. I'm sure there's something to be written there. About the way we perceive women and the way we perceive women as victims of abuse and, like, how you can only be a victim of abuse or an abuser, but you can't be, like, a person who who exacts revenge on your in your own name. Although, weirdly enough, in Fables, uh, Gretel ends up going back to the witch to be taught magic. Well, I mean, isn't that, is that not what Drizella is doing? She's joining up with Gothel, the person who destroyed her family. Anyway, Drizella steps on a on a tripwire. Yeah, on a tripwire, and these logs come flying at them. Drizella uses her power to freeze one of them so it doesn't hit them. With vines, she makes vines reach out and grab it. And Gretel uses her power to turn the other one into skittles. Gumdrops. Or are they? Oh, gu- they they look like skittles, but she says gumdrops. Okay, what? I guess because skittles is a brand name, and you can't say like. I don't know, candy discs. Well, they also make a hard candy shell noise when they fall down. They're not, gumdrops are sticky. They wouldn't have made that noise. Could they just not figure out what one would call a non-brand name Skittles-esque candy? Or, I mean, it wouldn't make sense to have a Skittles-esque candy in the Enchanted Forest. But my real problem here, and I understand this is a flaw in myself, but I'm annoyed at Hansel for not having 
a sufficiently themed serial killer theme. And I'm annoyed at Gretel that all of her magic is candy-based. So I really need to pick a side, but I think I'm just going to keep hating them both. Wow, I actually genuinely enjoyed the fact that Gretel has chosen to specialize in candy-based magic. You know what? Okay, that's what the problem is. There's no such thing as candy-based magic! What the hell, Gretel? Whatever. She just kind of leaned into it. Oh my god, whatever, whatever. She's like the ice queen with her ice-based magic, except she happened to have candy as her launching thing. I don't know. Yes, she's she's like the Elsa, except her element is candy instead of ice. Yeah, okay. You know, okay. The, the five elements, earth, wind, water, fire, candy. Back in the present in Flynn's Barcade. Okay, I kind of love how this scene is set up because it starts with Henry and Hook standing in front of a bunch of arcade uh, machines. Specifically, Hook is standing in front of Marvel versus Capcom, but the way he's standing, it's so you can just see Marvel and not Capcom. Oh, I didn't notice that. That's funny. Hook is razzing Henry because Henry supposedly is good at this game, but he can't get higher than Hook's score, even though he has two good hands and Hook is working with just one good hand. Mm. And Nick comes over, like, they. this launches into a thing about how Henry's probably just distracted by the fact that he hasn't had sex in a while well they tell him he needs to get over jacinda and the best way to get over someone is to get under someone else why are you taking my line and then saying it all like mockingly like that's totally true henry just needs to get laid and nick is all like um you've got this like john hughes thing going on because this is the episode where we reference 80s movies Mm. Nick is like, you got this 80s thing going on. Chicks dig that. You should just hit on the next person to walk through the door. Yeah, it's one of those like, dude, you're so fucking hot. You've got the whole John Hughes thing. Like anyone would want to be into you. So why don't you fuck literally the next woman who walks through the door? Okay, to be fair to Henry, he's like, okay, I'll tell you what. I will ask out the next person who walks through the door and probably make a fool out of myself, but to make you happy, and because we're all just the right level of drunk, that is what I will do. And And the next person to walk through the door in slow motion, because for some reason this, for some reason these scenes are an 80s movie homage. They totally are! The next person who walks through the door is slow motion Jacinda. Uh Uh-oh. Okay, but this is what I was talking about. The reason she's in this bar is because she and Sabine are getting dinner next door and they're waiting for a table. And they're waiting for a table and Jacinda's like, well, I'm going to leave you here waiting for the table while I go to the arcade next door. That's so rude. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Who would do that? That's such an asshole thing to do to your friend. Exactly my point. The only reason that it makes sense now is if we decide that Jacinda is the person with the high score on Galaga, if she was like, hang on, I just need to pop over real quick and make sure that my high score is still high and defend it if it's not god i mean that's still weird but it's slightly less weird so back in the flashback the two witches are bonding over the fact that they weren't murdered by giant logs and trying to figure out where uh where to go next they figure they must be on the right track because they were nearly murdered by giant logs yes but they come to a fork in the road and they decide that they're both gonna go down one of the forks and meet back here presumably one of them will have the two flowers i don't know why they're so sure that that's gonna work but whatever i also don't know why 
Like, I would think that the flowers would be in completely different parts of the forest. Yeah, not two of them together like that. Yeah. As soon as they separate, Gothel appears to Ivy and is like, Guess what, bitch? There are no flowers. This is all a test. This is a test specifically for you and only you. This is a test on top of a test. God, I hate her. You alone have proven yourself worthy of joining the coven. Uh, But first, you have to murder the person you made an alliance with because that's how you prove yourself worthy of joining our sisterhood. (laughs) Who would want to join a sisterhood where you have to kill the people that you're... Whatever. I guess... I guess you want to know that your only loyalty is to the coven, so you kill everyone who means anything to you. Vampires do that a lot. Whatever. No, it's asinine. You, the only way to prove that you're capable of being loyal to the coven is to backstab people? Well, no, it's to cut off all of your other loyalties. That's why vampires have to kill all their family members as soon as they turn into vampires. But she... Go, Gothel gives her one of those Electra things. Ninja Turtle? Oh. Uh, different. Yeah. But Psy, I think they're called Psy's. Yes, they're called Psy's, except she only gives her one. She gives her a Psy. Yeah. Hmm. Don't these usually come in pairs? Hmm. Also, I know there are weapons you can use for stabbing, but I thought the main point of them was that you could use them to turn. Catch a dagger. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's weird that she gave her that and not a dagger. Whatever. Well, do daggers come in pairs? Back in also, by the way, that that side looks super blunt. It does. It looks like you would have to work to kill someone with that. Back in Seattle, Ivy has launched all of the lanterns into the sky and Anastasia has shown up. And Anastasia's doing the whole, you know, the powers making the lights flicker around her. I don't trust you because you tried to suck out all of my magic. and That is what happened. Which, fair, I guess. And... And Ivy's all like, I just did it because I was scared, but you're my sister and I love you. She says, I got lost. And whatever. I mean, it's true, but I hate how emotional and vulnerable Ivy sounds right now when, in fact, she's just getting ready to betray Anastasia again. Which makes the fact that Anastasia believes her when she does basically this exact same spiel later so bizarre i mean i hope that it turns out that after they go through the portal they go through at the end of this episode anastasia kills ivy and is like bitch i'm not falling for it again you're clearly gonna backstab me wow you've really turned a corner on ivy i just whatever so she gives a speechy speech about how she was lost but how anastasia always helps her find herself and anastasia runs up and hugs her And then Ivy goes, hey, does this smell like cocaine to you? And blows some powder in her face. Yeah, she tells Anna that she has a magic bean and that they'll power it up together and escape. But then when she reaches into her pouch, she pulls up sleeping powder instead and blows it right into Anna's face. And Anna's like, Anna has a split second before she falls asleep where she's like, what the fuck, bitch? And then, well, Anastasia's asleep, Ivy's like, sorry, sister, it was you or me, and I had to choose me. Legitimately, legit, it feels like you could have just been like, hey, why don't you try powering up this bean? And then she would power up the bean, and then you could escape. Well, she doesn't have the bean, Dr. Facilia has the bean, because he was afraid that she would do that logical thing. (laughs) Honestly, I was expecting her, like... Later to just be, you know, she did this just so she could get the bean. Which would make sense, 
Whatever. Back in the barcade. Especially because we're supposed to be seeing Drizella as sympathetic by the end of the episode. Yeah, we should be seeing some growth at the very least in this episode, which we don't. (sighs) Meanwhile, back in the bar, Henry is flirting with Jacinta and Hook and Nick are off to the side playing pool and talking about the case. Which, Hook, you're being a terrible cop right now because he's telling him everything about the case. I do really like Nick in this scene, which I hate how much setup it is for the fact that he's obviously the killer. Yeah. Because he's like, I'm not going to have to worry about the killer, am I? And Hook's like, don't worry. He said the killer sends uh, anonymous anonymous chocolates. chocolates to his victims and nick's like oh okay i am gonna name my next band anonymous chocolate though that's such a hipster pacific northwest thing to say but it makes me love nick Mm. and as you said hate the twist they take with him over where jacinda and henry are flirting jacinda has a token a token from flynn's barcade and she tells henry that if he can throw it all the way across the bar and land it in the beer glass on the other side of the bar like some sort of high-stakes quarters, then it is fate, and they are meant to be together. That everything that Lucy told them about who they really were is true, even though Lucy seems to have gone back on it. Yes. So Henry takes the coin, and he tosses it, and it is going to land in the mug of beer, and then a new character who I have dubbed the ironic cock blocker, reaches out and moves the beer mug. It's great because he throws it and it's in slow motion and it's flipping towards the... And it's going right towards... I I love Henry's expression here. It's very Ben White. He's like, did you see what the... What? He's so confused. And Jacinda's like, okay, later, skater. Yeah. (laughs) Conveniently, Sabine texted to say that their table was ready. And she's like, yeah, well... Bye. And she kisses Henry on the cheek. She's like, till we meet again. And she does this cool little spin and she's like, Henry Mills. Apparently kissing him on the cheek isn't true love's kiss. Apparently. Which it has been in the past. I know. I was thinking about it while we were watching it. That would have been so fucking awkward. That would have been hilarious and awesome. It would have like redeemed this whole season. But that's not what happened. So we go back to Facilier's apartment where... Anastasia is unconscious on the couch, and she's asking Dr. Fizzle, she's like, so why exactly is this going to kill my sister? And he's like, because the plot says so. Yeah, he has this, like, ash that he's going to fill with her magic, and then he'll use the ash to make the bean magic, and then Drizella can get the fuck out. So he picks up a bone knife that he's going to use to stab Anastasia with to get her magic out. I think it's a hollow bone that he's using to shoot the ash onto her in a, in runic forms. It doesn't matter because it, it he's not allowed to finish the ritual. The whole apartment starts shaking and Anastasia starts waking up and Ivy's like, oh, this is bad, right? And Gothel shows up and is like, yeah, bitch, so this that, is really bad. So that doorman is just straight up not doing it. Why does it? Well, Gothel has magic now, right? Does she? I, I guess she does. Yeah, I think Gothel yeah, yeah, has yeah, magic. You're yeah. right. She, okay, complete retracted. I was like, how is she magically waiting? But yeah. God. I, I, I just thought Dr. Facilia was like the friends and friends where he just never locks his apartment. Well, his apartment doesn't have a deadbolt. It only has the kind of lock that you turn with a door handle. 
Which is fine because he lives in a doorman apartment, except apparently Mm. that doorman Uh, doesn't care. Magic. (laughs) So, back in the flashback, Ivy faces off with Gretel. She reaches into her cloak to pull out the dagger, the sigh, and then she's like, wait, no, we should be sisters. How about the two of us make a coven together and fuck Gothel because this is all bullshit. And... And... Gretel's like, okay, if you say so, but I found the flowers. And then she reaches into her cloak and Ivy's like, oh, fuck. Jesus fucking Christ. And and Gretel's like, yeah, Gothel talked to me too. Wah, wah. Yep. And then they have a side fight. Which I really liked Gretel. I, I feel like this episode, I liked this episode. I want to be clear. The plot felt like it was moving forward. There was character development but we know who the candy killer is now so at least we're getting somewhere i just i really would have liked it if they'd gone off and formed their own evil group that's my favorite plot thing is when two people like this who are who are pitted against each other by a person who thinks they're in charge team up against that person in charge i love that plot but no no they fight each other and and ivy uses force magic to literally stab Gretel in the back with the sigh. You get it? You get it? She stabs her in the back. I want to know why this witch fight mostly consisted of two women trying to stab each other when they both have magical powers. I don't... But Gothel appears behind Ivy and she's like, well done, my apprentice. And Ivy's like, fucking shit. Like, Ivy immediately knows she chose the wrong team, and yet... And yet here she still we are- worked with it. Yeah, and here we are in modern and here we are in the modern story and whatever. Gothel well, well, it's like remember back in season 2 and 3 when we got like seven different episodes about how Regina became evil for reals this time? Yeah, I guess so. It's just Ivy seems to realize that this is a bad idea multiple times throughout this season and yet and yet Meanwhile, in Seattle, Gothel has woken up Anastasia, and Anastasia is throwing shit around the apartment because she does not like the fact that her sister just tried to kill her again! She's going real movie Jean Grey. There's a lot of movie Jean Grey here. Yeah, except Anastasia is not a person who's so powerful that she can't control it and has to die, which I appreciate. Hmm. Although, you know, she's just using magic for theatrical reasons. She's not doing, like... She could just throw her out the window or snap her neck. Instead, she uses magic to bring a giant jagged piece of glass to Uh, her hand. She uses magic to break the glass table and then cause one of the shards of glass to fly into her hand. Yeah, so that she can dramatically stab Drizella with it. And Drizella's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm not, like, we just saw in the flashback, last time I was in this situation, I stabbed the other girl. I'm not doing that this time. You want to kill me? Go ahead and kill me. Although she does throw out a, but Gothel made me do it. Which. I mean, to be fair. Yeah. Well, I feel like at some point she needed to make her own decisions and not follow Gothel. At some point she start, she needed to stop listening to Gothel. That's true. But I think it's the sunk cost fallacy at this point. Yeah, I guess so. She's like, ah, I've been following her so long, surely it will eventually pay off. Maybe this time she won't betray me. But she drops the dagger and she's like, look, if you want to kill me, kill me. It's fine. 
I, I love I love you anyway. And Gothel's like, do it! Kill her! Kill her! It's the right thing to do! Kill her! And Anastasia's like, relatively speaking, I'm much younger than you were in the flashback, but I'm already so much smarter than you are. I'm absolutely not going to listen to the woman, the the manic woman next to me shouting at me to commit murder. So, yeah. To be ambiguously fair to Ivy, uh, she didn't want to kill Gretel. Like, she was defending herself for the whole fight. That's true. It was only in the last minute when she was about to be stabbed to death when she used her magic to kill uh, Gretel. But she could have killed Gretel and still not joined up with Gothel because of all of that bullshit. Yeah. But then again, at that point. So do you think all of the other witches just killed each other off? or? Yes, I do. Hunger Games style. Or uh, Battle Royale style. Yeah. So, for whatever reason... Well, I guess because it's Dr. Facilier's apartment. Regina and Weaver show up at the apartment. Oh, we forgot to mention, I do kind of love this. When Gothel shows up, Dr. Facilier just leaves. Like, the last episode, like, he's just like, you know what? I'm not dealing with this. He just leaves the apartment. Dr. Facilier is uncomfortable whenever he sees more than one witch fighting, so he just takes off. (laughs) Anyway, Regina and Weaver show up, and, okay, so everyone in this scene is awake. Yeah. Okay, just checking. So. Regina's all like, oh, Ivy, I was mad at you, but I guess I remember that I was a lot like you when I was younger, so. It is kind of great because Ivy's like, I guess I really should have stuck with you for my magic lessons. And Regina's like, no fucking duh. Ivy also says this thing about how she thought that emotions would make her weak, but it turns out that love makes her strong. Oh god, it is the Dark Phoenix movie. Well, I was thinking it's more like the thing with Korra, except that this isn't a lesson that's been shown before. There was no emotions make you weak set up before this. And exactly how did love make you strong? Well, appealing to her sister's emotions stopped her sister from killing her, I guess. I guess. Yeah, I don't know. This this is this feels like payoff without enough setup. Exactly. I'm sure that at some point I, I don't know. I, I was thinking maybe at some point really early in the season, maybe it was something Victoria said, but I mean maybe, but eh. So uh she asks Regina if Regina forgives her, and Regina's like, No, but I understand you, and that's enough. Look, I'm I'm not gonna I'm gonna work on fixing your mess. You don't need to worry about me. I'm not gonna do anything to you. And now Ivy's like, I guess I need to go apologize to Jacinda and figure out how that's gonna work, especially since now I have a little sister that Jacinda doesn't know about because she's still asleep. And Anastasia's like, or we could use our magic to power the magic bean and get the fuck out of here. We could just leave your mess behind and go. And Ivy's like, oh, I like that solution. Let's do that. Also, I guess Ivy has her magic back now because they both hold hands over the uh, magic bean and both of their hands glow. So I guess maybe I think Anastasia gave her her magic back. Yeah, I think back. Anastasia transferred her magic back to her. But seriously, Ivy... You are just leaving a mess in your wake, and you're like, all right, well, bye. Everything worked out for me. Bye. <laughs> Honestly, I, I think we're we- approaching this from different things, because I think this is a great way to get Ivy out of the show. I guess. But Regina and Weaver are, ster- but Regina and Weaver are seriously standing in the room like, 
All right, well, okay, I guess. Well, that happened. So, Regina's like, aren't you honked off because the Guardian was supposed to liberate you from the Dark One thing and reunite you with Belle? And he's like, every good deed I commit brings me closer to Belle. Yeah, he's the Little Mermaid now. Oh, God. He's He's, the classic Little Mermaid. Yeah, he's classic Little Mermaid going out and doing good deeds and witnessing children doing good deeds so he can get closer to heaven. He's also like, but... I think this proved to you that your boyfriend is super evil and, you know, you can't trust him. All he wants is my dagger. I mean, did it? I mean, again, none of this really affected Regina personally. And Regina heads back to the bar and Dr. Facili is there and she's honked off at him. And he's like, you know, literally none of what I did affected any of your plots. And she's like. Also, he claims that what happened is exactly what he intended to happen. Okay, dude. I I love that. Like, you can do all your evil plots, and when you get defeated, you can just be like, maybe this is what I wanted to happen. Maybe I meant for you to see the good in yourself. Dr. Facilier, mm-hmm. after he makes this implausible claim that this was his plan all along, does give Regina the bag of the ash that he partially powered with magic. So now Regina has some magic, so... Yeah, he's like, look... I know you don't trust me. I know that it seems like I'm doing a whole bunch of really evil shit. But look, none of what I did negatively affected you directly. All of the evil I do happens to other people. And I got you this sweet bottle of magic you can use to fix your son, maybe. She says, um, I think magic always comes with a price. And he's like, no, just smile. Ugh. The only price is your smile. Ugh. Also, like... A little girl almost got murdered. <laughs> oh, no, but he always planned for her to not get murdered. Anyway, back at the barcade, Henry, Hook, and Nick are all leaving. And I just have to say, I was like, you all three are planning on driving home because it made me very uncomfortable. They should call a Swift. They've been drinking all night. Point. Good point. It really, whatever. I'm just going to assume that they have been drinking for several hours. Otherwise, I won't be able to move past this point. Nick's car is, like, out of commission. His tire has been slashed. Like, it's not just a little flat. It is, like, somebody destroyed that tire. It's weird. I do do like the fact that he's like, well, it looks like my car is just a really expensive paperweight. And Henry's like, do you want to lift home? And he's like, no, I can fix it. Don't worry. But I just, it strikes me as really weird because it's the kind of, it's the kind of damage to a tire that is really intentional. But I suspect... That we are not going to learn that it was intentional, that we're meant to think that it was just an accident. Mm. So he says his goodbyes. He's like, look, it's going to take me a bit to fix this tire. You don't need to hang out. You can go home. Henry, fuck the signs. I'm sure you and Jacinda were meant to be together. You just need to be together. And Rogers, good luck on your case. I'm sure the answer is right under your nose. What? Anyway, speaking of fuck the signs... We cut to Jacinda's apartment where she's studying the Flynn's arcade token pensively. And then she's like, all right, fuck it. And she lies down on the couch and throws it over her head. She and- she lies down on the couch, closes her eyes and throws it over her head. Yeah. And it lands in a shot glass on her kitchen counter. And she's like, oh, fuck. And then she gets really excited. Like, okay, I guess this means I can ignore my daughter and bone Henry. Like, that wasn't your issue with... Yeah, your issue wasn't that you didn't think it was fate. Your issue is that Lucy said that she got a bad vibe from him. You should listen to that. Even though Lucy's saying it for reasons that we understand, but... Even though Lucy was very clearly lying. Yeah. 
Back on the street, Rumple runs into Dr. Facilier and they have like an evil villain off because Dr. Facilier is trying to steal Rumple's dagger. And Dr. Facilier makes the very good point where he's like, I thought you wanted to die so you could join your wife in the afterlife. Also, he knows that Rumple won't do anything too bad to defend himself because he wants to go to heaven. And Rumple's like, there's loopholes. Cora got into heaven. Fucking Cora got into heaven. Yeah, and then he says he's going to put both of Dr. Facilier's feet on the other side. Eh. And for the last scene of the episode, we see Nick changing his car tire and then putting the jack back in the trunk of his car. And we see that in the trunk of his car is the baby face mask and a bunch of boxes of chocolate. Also a Kill Bill list. Oh, and in case that wasn't obvious enough, he also has the same disco ball on his keychain. Just to stick it in your face how obviously he's the killer. And you know what? I'm actually, I know they're not going to do it, but I actually hope it's a swerve and he's not actually the killer and this is just a ton of red herrings. It's just, I know this looks bad, but it's not what you think. Because it's too aggressively telegraphed, but I know thinking that is, I, I just... Oh, I just have to point out that the the drugstore chocolate, what I've been calling the drugstore chocolate, has a label on it that says Cottage Industries Artisanal Uh, Chocolates. Yeah. I guess you can probably just buy those boxes for really cheap. Like, cheap box expensive chocolate. Yeah, I guess. And I guess he's actually getting them from a, a fancy chocolate place. But, like, there are fancy chocolate places here in town, and they don't come in drugstore looking boxes. Whatever. That's the end of this episode. That's our unrevealing reveal for this episode. Yeah, I I like this episode, but I didn't like a lot of what was revealed in this episode. I don't... This episode is... This episode is fine. The episode itself was an enjoyable watch. The problem is with the structure of the season. No reveal of the killer was going to be satisfying because there has been no setup for who the killer is. I'm also, we didn't spend enough time with Nick for this to be a good twist. And honestly, it feels like a betrayal of the little time we've spent with him. Yeah, now we're now he's going to be a serial killer and a bad guy when he was such a fun character. And it was so nice to have two guy friends. Yeah, which I just... You know who would have been a great killer? Who? Wish vs. Henry. Wish vs. Henry is the only satisfying answer I would have had as to who the killer is. Yeah, that would have been cool. Plus, it would have uh, added a, you know, an element to the last few episodes where, you know, everyone thinks that Henry's a serial killer. Yeah, I, whatever. Well, technically, we don't know if this makes him the bad guy because, you know, he's only killing evil witches. I mean, I'm pretty sure he's the bad guy. Yeah, I mean... If you kill, you're only a good guy if you kill people out in the open like David did. Yeah, as soon as you put a mask on, you become a bad guy, apparently. So let's talk about fashion, speaking of masks. Okay, so I really like the uh, coat uh-huh. that uh, Drizella, baby Drizella had at the beginning of the episode. And although I, I liked a lot of the witch outfits, they were all kind of variations on the same cloak thing, but... Yeah, different colors and patterns of giant cloaks, but... Nothing wrong with that. But uh, Drizella, under her cloak, I, I did like she had sort of this half bodice thing. Uh-huh. 
that had one of those like belts that are just giant coins all around. I really liked that. I thought that was a good look. It was a good look. Yeah. This is why I thought Ivy could maybe be the new Regina because she knows how to rock an outfit. Yeah. I also really liked the way that they had Ivy and Gothel in the modern day both wearing red floral outfits to both tie them together and tie them to their floral themes. Hmm. So, recommendations. Uh, I'm going to recommend Fables because seeing as Once Upon a Time has finally gone back to its roots of ripping off Fables and we didn't do recommendations early on, I feel comfortable in recommending at very least the first uh, book in Fables. Uh, Fables is a graphic novel about a bunch of fairy tale characters who live in a isolated neighborhood in the real world. Yes. So very, you can see why people accused Once Upon a Time of ripping off Fables. The whole first uh, trade is a murder mystery. Yes, it is. And honestly, I mean, the book goes on for a while after that. And while I do like the later volumes of Fables, you can just read the first... uh, the first volume. Yeah, Who Killed Rose Red. And honestly, it, it's well worth a read. Yeah, I really enjoyed the first volume of Fables. I am going to make our obligatory Terry Pratchett recommendation. Oh. Yes, and recommend Guards Guards, the first Night Watch book in the Discworld series. Um, in fact, when people are starting Discworld and I'm telling them where to start because there's a lot of books in there loosely connected but not all connected and you don't need to actually read them in publishing order so when i'm recommending people start discworld i usually tell them to start either with weird sisters which is the first witches book or guards guards which is the first night watch book depending on who the person is depending on who the person is and the reason i'm suggesting guards guards is because the scene where they were throwing the coin across the bar and jacinda told henry it was a million to one chance made me think of a different million to one chance with a different disguised prince mm. in Guards Guards. Yeah. So I think that does it for this week. Uh, yes, that should about do it. Our show is partially listener supported. If you want to be one of the supporters, you could head over to our website, www.ilovetelevisionzines, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maracruz, Rosa, and Javier. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on, I think, Apple Music is what iTunes became. Apple Podcasts now. Apple Podcasts. You can rate and review us there. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode or television in general, you should head over to our Facebook group, Welcome to Television. Uh, We can also be contacted at I Love TV Zines on Twitter or at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to Storybrooke. I have friends. I definitely have friends. No one can say.